Welcome to Positive Impact with Andrew Schultz. This episode is sponsored by Positive Impact Transformational Coaching. Not only do I host this podcast, I'm also a certified transformational life coach. And I specialize in behavior change. Over the last five years, I've helped hundreds of clients from all walks of life create transformation and breakthroughs through my 12-week private one-on-one coaching program. Together, we uncover the things that are getting in the way and holding you back from being your best self, and highest good, discovering the negative impact and consequences those behaviors and limiting beliefs are having in your life and in the lives of those around you, and then discarding those old ways of being to create new habits, rituals, practices to support you to create your own breakthrough and positive impact transformation. To get your journey started today, go to my website, theandrewschultz.com or my Instagram, Positive Impact Andrew, to schedule a free 30-minute connection call. I'm here to support you, to serve you and empower you in making 2023 your best year ever, filled with maximum success, significance, and fulfillment. Hey friends, welcome back to Positive Impact. Today I have a a dear friend, coach, mentor, therapist, cheerleader. Uh, My guest today, is Lisa Chastain. And Lisa and I started working together almost exactly a year ago, Uh, a time when my finances were something I was scared of, uh, I avoided, Uh, I had enough just to get by, but I wasn't managing my money, I didn't have a budget, no way of tracking what comes in, what goes out, I was simply winging it. And fast forward to January 2023, and I had my best year financially in the last 10 years. Coincidence? I think not. Lisa, it's good to have you. I'm so glad to be here. Really, like I love, I love spending time with you, and having having intentional, heartfelt conversation is my jam. So I'm really grateful we can do this on your on your platform. Yes. So Lisa is a professional money coach dedicated to empowering professionals to improve their finances and live their best life. She is the author of Girl, Get Your Shit Together, and she is the podcast host of Real Money. But the biggest reason why I wanted to have Lisa on is because I love bringing people on, Lisa, people who have had a positive impact in my life and the positive impact you've had on my life, um, which I'm really excited to share all the details. Um, So I give you permission to share about working with me so the listeners can really understand like the deep work that goes into working with you and the extreme value I got from our time together. 
Okay, wonderful. Let's do it. But first off, I got to say, I watched your uh, podcast with Jimmy, <laughs> your husband, your husband. Yeah. I have a man crush on him. <laughs> He's the best, right? I love your husband. <laughs> I can't wait for you guys to come to Vegas again and you can hang out and yeah. There He's was, there was a, some Jimmyisms that I wrote down that I love. Okay. Um, and it was, um, we'll get into that in a little bit, but I want to start off, Lisa, what was the defining moment in your life that inspired your journey and the work that you're doing today? Oh my gosh. I've had several, had several, um, the, the, the one that comes to mind the most. And I, I, I say this often in interviews is failure and for me. And I think that's the, the case for a lot of people, right? Like life isn't working. Life isn't working. Life isn't working. Life isn't working. And then all of a sudden, boom, we have this big event or we have this big failure loose. Like that's a, a big word that can be defined in a number of ways. Mm-hmm. And it was my failure and like really up against it, forcing me to look at all the things in my life that weren't working. And that was at the age of 35. Mm. So at 35, I had a huge, a big wake up call and it, it, it didn't, it didn't happen overnight. It never does. Right. And it was just through like one event after the other, where I woke up and I was like, can we cuss on this podcast? Yes, absolutely. It's like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? <laughs> I don't like my husband. So I'm remarried. Jimmy's my second husband. I don't like my husband. I'm not really connected to my friends. I'm not really enjoying this experience of my friends who want to go out and party all the time. I'm going broke. I'm working with a business partner that I'm not getting along with. I'm not making any money. And I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Like I was really, really stuck and really facing my own demons at that part in my life. So from 33 to 37, um, that was a really dark time in my life. Mm. I would say so intentional though, because it got me to where I am today. Had I not gone through that and we can, we can dig into the details of that. However deep you want to go. Had I not gone through the divorce, had I not gone broke, had I not had major credit card debt, had I not been doing work that I really wasn't, I wasn't connected to and living very inauthentically, I wouldn't have been shifted, I think, powerfully. Like I was like, if I don't change something, I might be homeless. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I had, I had to make changes and that's when everything opened up for me in any way. So failure. Mm. I can relate a lot. I was 36 when I hit my rock bottom and I got fired from my corporate job and I had lost all the stuff that I had and I was addicted to drugs and alcohol and, um, that rock bottom at 36, it catapulted me into the life of what I'm doing today to be able mm-hmm. to be able to be of service. And I'm, I'm so grateful that we can share about our failures um, for people listening, giving people permission to, you know, embrace, you know, I say my greatest challenge, my darkest hour and my rock bottom is now my greatest asset, my brightest light and my superpower to inspire hope for others. I agree with that. I agree with that. You know, I have a a client who's a doctor and we were just talking about this earlier today, that pain, so physical pain in the body 
is just your neurons telling you something's off, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's really, it's just, it's just a signal like, Hey, something's not working here. We got to figure it out. And I think failure in the non-physical sense is the same thing. Mm. Yeah. It's just, hey, something's not working here. What needs to shift? And it had me. I didn't have it. It had me. Like it was, do you ever see the Superman? Uh, is it? No, it's the Dark Knight series, the Batman series. And there's Bane, the character Bane. And he's got this mask on his face. And you're just like, he can't talk because it's like, well, he talks. But it's like, I felt like my failure had me. And it was crushing me. And it was, it was the, the actual experience of breaking through that, that got me to the other side of my life and to the joy that I have today. And I, I know from personal experience that pain gets louder and louder and, and deeper and deeper if we're not paying attention. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Until I know I believe in God. I know you believe in God. Until God finally has our attention of, okay, are you paying attention now? Do I have your attention yet? The, are you in enough pain and suffering for you to listen finally? Oh my gosh. Isn't that the truth? Yes. And I've had those experiences. Yeah. Um, what I really want people to understand and, and to hear from you, um, let's talk about the different money types for people listening, because yeah. this is something you and I, when we first started working together, Lisa, this is one of the first things that we worked on together is understanding there are different money types and personalities. Um, so can you help empower the audience understanding the different money types and personalities and feel free to use mine as an example so people can really understand? Sure. So here, let me tell you why this is so important is that um, using this, these framework, is it fact? Is it total science? No. And it's a framework and a context that you can operate with money with so that we can stop the shame and the, the bashing and the, the unkindness that we are to ourselves about money and that other people put on us too. There's a lot of judgment in the money world, a lot. And having been, I was a financial advisor. I worked and went to conferences with financial people. I work with financial people all day long. I listen to financial experts. There are a lot of judgmental people in the money industry. And I'm going to tell you why. But that, you know, overall with the money types, I think it's such an important conversation because it creates freedom for us, permission for us to be who we are and then operate according. So um, there, the, the, the five money types were created by my mentor, Robin Crane. And, and, and there are a lot of money experts out there that have money archetypes and stuff, but it's really important when, you, when you're thinking about the results that you want in your life. So with professional people or people who are, who are working toward anything in life, we have to know how we operate best. And in the money personalities, there's, the, there's one of the five that a lot of people in the money industry trend to because of how they're wired and how they like to work, which is data management, facts, very black and white thinkers. And so the numbers for them are something that they that turn them on. They really want to be in the numbers and the spreadsheets and the analytics of, of, of money. And so they trend in that direction. So we have a whole lot of people in the money industry who are in one of the four money type categories. Okay. So if you're someone who does not resonate with that one money type and you are not that one money type, but you're learning from financial people who are trying to stuff down your throat, their money personality and their money preference, there creates disconnect, dis-ease, shame, mm -hmm. guilt, 
limit and then limiting beliefs. I'm not good at money. I'll never be good at money. I don't get this. It's hard. All that. Right. I like how you said dis-ease, by the way. I did not, it's something I definitely paid attention to. Dis-ease. And then we're just judging ourselves because other people are judging us or we just don't get it. So this is why I don't teach budgets. I don't like them. They don't fit. I'm not going to wear them. I'm not going to do them. Right. And I can still do money. And so can you. And we have the same money personality, which is why I say that. Okay. The five are cheap chip, which is... The, the one that I was talking about that a lot of people in the money industry trend toward. Okay. There's spendthrift, Sally or Sal, you know, male or female. Yep. Delusional Dan, which are me and you. Yeah. Delusional Dan. <laughs> I am a delusional Dan for everybody listening, just so you know. And so is Lisa. That's what we're kindred spirits. That's right. So cheap chip, spendthrift, Sally, delusional Dan, um, over generous Olivia or over generous Oliver and avoider. And my, my mentor, Robin, when she came up with these, she makes, we, we make fun of ourselves in this conversation because we're, none of us are perfect. The cheap chips would like you to think that they're perfect, but nobody's perfect. And so she has Barbie dolls and she teaches this class because I'm on a mission to make money fun and relatable, Mm. which is why I called my podcast real money. Like, let's just be real. Let's be real. Let's get out of our heads and be real. So the cheap chip tends to be the person who hoards money they can they can be very analytical. They move slow in making financial decisions or decisions in general. They can be um, victims of analysis paralysis. A lot of cheap chips don't value things. They might have clothes that they've been wearing for their entire lives, like clothes for twenty years. You know, so we kind of I like to poke fun at our cheap chips because they're people that tend to be more sensible and more realistic. And you might think that they're going to be the best when it comes to their money, but they're also a lot of times cheap chips can be victims of fear and scarcity. So it's not always a winning play to be a cheap chip. And there's, like I said, there's five money personalities. And with the clients that I work with, maybe 25% of them are actually cheap chips. Okay. And then uh, Spencer Sally is like the total opposite of the cheap chip. Money comes and goes very quickly. They, they are very impulsive in their decisions, financially or otherwise. They can be the life of the party. They're the person that goes to the bar and goes or goes takes everybody to lunch and pays for it, right? Um, and, and they're very abundant in their mindset. So that's not a bad thing. I have a lot of great business owners who are spendthrifts because they like the actual movement of money mm-hmm. and that excites them. Are they the best at budgeting? No. They don't want to sit down and do a budget. They want to go make more money and they want to spend more money. Right? That makes sense. Yep. Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. Delusional Dan, who are our top money types, we tend to think big and dream big. And just about every business owner that I coach is in the delusional Dan category, top one or two money types. You've got to be a little crazy to think that you can own and run a business. It's a little crazy, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> True words were never uttered. Yeah. Hey, I'm just going to go do a thing and make money and it's going to be great. And it's very hard. It's, it's I'm glad hard. you said that. I'm glad you said that. We're going to come back to that thread later about okay. entrepreneurship and how difficult it really is and why mentors and masterminds are so important. But coming back to delusional Dan. Yeah. So they're the Tony Robbins of the world, you know, think big, dream big entrepreneurs for sure. Um, and, um, and getting results is really important to delusional dance. You might 
see in money behavior, a spendthrift and a delusional money type, their behaviors might look different, or I'm sorry, they might look the same on the outside looking in. Money's coming in and out, right? It's flowing quickly, but the why behind it is very different. Spendthrifts don't have, they're not thinking about the vision. They're not thinking about results. Money is just coming and going. They're not being intentional. Delusional Dan's or Delilah's can be very intentional and very results driven. And that's their why behind why they want to go out and create and generate is it it's a results to like, they want results. They want to have a lot of like cool things in their lives. Right. And for an example of that real quick is for me right now, I'm putting a lot of money down for deposits for upcoming retreats, which requires a lot of money to secure the Airbnb, the private chef and all the things that go into the retreat. So right. What you just said, Lisa, that's where I'm at. I'm putting money, I'm investing it because it's, it's part of the vision of what I want to create for people to have weekend immersions and retreats. And it requires me to put down a lot of money for deposits to secure and make that happen. And you're very visionary. You see and trust and risk in that direction. Cheap chips don't do that. Cheap chips want to know the facts. They want to know how it's going to happen. They want to, they want to feel secure. They want to, you know, they want to have a guarantee. And that's why cheap chips struggle in the entrepreneurial area more so than a delusional Dan or Delilah. Makes sense. If you're listening to this, you're like, oh my gosh, this is, this is me, or this isn't me. It's really awesome to think that there are, there's something other than just one. And it's really important, Lisa, for people who are in a relationship with their, their partner, a business partnership, to know the money personality types of the people they're in relationship with and like like in the trenches with to create whatever it is. Hell yeah. How valuable is that? Because perception is projection. If we're we're all perceiving the world as we are. Yeah. And when we with money, we don't think about it that way. But if we have certain money values and then we're judging someone based on our own values, if you're a cheap chip and you're judging a delusional Dan based on your values, they're always going to get it wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's painful. That's a very painful experience for someone on the other side. And I see this in marriages all the time, business partnerships all the time. One's one money type, one's the other money type. And they're constantly at battle because they're trying to uh, have the other one operate as they are and it'll never work. Mm. So those are the, th those are the first three, the second two or the final two are um, over generous Olivia. So these are people who like a, a lot of my overgenerous Olivia's and Oliver's work in nonprofits. They work in the healthcare field. They're teachers, they're nurses, not necessarily doctors. Doctors are more like probably delusional Dan's or Spencer's some of the time, not all the time, um, but they're, they're givers. It's a giver's game for them. They will give you the shirt off of their backs. They will, you know, the, they wake up, they wake up in the question of who can I serve and who can I support today? Now for all of these many types, there are strengths and weaknesses, you know, delusional Dan's delusional Delilah's we don't like to plan. Therefore the process of planning is very painful for us. It requires us to slow down. Mm -hmm. And that's also the one thing that gets us, gets in the way of us having results is we don't have a game plan, right? We've got these big dreams, but we don't plan. We don't follow through cheap chips. They get too in the weeds 
very weedy kind of people, very detailed kind of people. They, they lose perspective on what's actually happening in the bigger picture of their lives. They have a hard time making decisions that holds them back. It holds other people back. Um, so we all have strengths and weaknesses. And then the fifth money type is avoider. So with the avoider, there are people who are authentically avoiders. There are people who don't like conflict. There are people who like to look at the bright side of things. So if you try to have a hard conversation with them, you'll hear them say things like, it's going to work out. Don't worry. It'll all work out. Also known as spiritual bypassing. Yes. Yes, definitely. Right. Like just yeah. kind of like them on the surface kind of people um, and people who don't want to look at the hard stuff. I had a conversation with an avoider who was basically like, I have the money to pay my bills, but it's just boring. I don't want to. So I just avoid it. You know, so it's not even that they can't afford things. They just don't want to look at the things that aren't fun for them or aren't worth it to them um, or spiritual bypassers. But then I will say that all of us, no matter our money personality, we can all be avoiders because if we're a delusional Dan, we're not getting results. We could be avoiding that. If we're a cheap chip and we don't have a plan and we're frustrated, we could be avoiding that. If we're a spendthrift and we were out of money, we could be avoiding that, Right. There's lots of, and over generous Olivia, you could be a doormat in relationship. You could be a doormat, doormat financially because you give all of your stuff away and you could be avoiding that. So we can all become avoiders in our money types, just depending on what results we're getting and what we're not. So that's a real high level, quick and dirty five money personalities. I hope that's valuable for your listeners. Absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of, uh, a big reason why I wanted to have you on Lisa is, you know, there's a lot of men that I work with um, who this is not something, a topic that us men like to talk about and we avoid it. And, you know, I, I did that for a long time. Just not, I didn't want to look at it. The mail would come. I didn't want to open the mail. I was scared of what I was. I just, I just didn't want to look at it and I didn't want to, didn't know what was coming in, didn't know what was going out. And then a lot of men I work with, they accrue a lot of debt and they don't know how to ask for help and they loan wolf it. And so I really want to give men permission and women, uh, but men permission to like have these conversations and using my story of working with you, like, like there's, there's so many things that we did together, but like putting together a budget, like I didn't have a budget until I started working with you. And there was a, on, on more than one occasion, you were doing the input for me because I didn't want to do it. Yeah. And you helped me. And like now every month I track exactly what's coming in, exactly what's going out. Um, more than that, you were the person more as a business coach, you helped me get really crystal clear on the clients, the ideal clients who I wanted to work with, uh, the messaging for those clients, um, the, the uh, and the, the, the client acquisition strategy for my business and having a new sales process. These are all things that when I signed up with you, I was like, I just thought I was going to put together a budget. Fast forward all the things that we've done together. And I really want men to hear like this work that you helped me do and the results that I got, because not only am I making more money, I'm um, making time for travel, play, adventure. You know, I've went uh, on trips to Big Sur, Yosemite, Bend, I never used to do that. And you gave me permission because of my relationship with money, what it was to reevaluate and create a new relationship with money in my life. So for men listening, 
uh, I really want to give them permission to start having these conversations and asking for help from people like you because it's so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. It's so important. And that's why I like the money types conversation because it releases the shame around what we're, what we're good at. What I like to say is, you know, take the, take the test, find out who you are and then find out who, who you are authentically because we can operate. We model our financial behaviors and we model our mindset a lot of times from who raised us. Mm, I'm glad you brought that up. So right? our relationship with money, family of origin, how we grew up in the household we grew up with and what was modeled by mom and dad. Exactly. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And they have their own money personalities and they raised you under the, the same pre the same context of their money personalities. And if we're not aware of that, for example, I'm not a cheap chip. I'm really not. I was raised by two cheap chips. So who I was being about money in my twenties and in my thirties, before I started doing this work, I was trying to put myself in that box and operate like my mom taught me to, because that's all I knew. And then once I realized I'm not a cheap chip and that's totally cool. And as soon as I gave myself permission, just like you to go run with my dreams, take the risks that I was born to take mm. and start to operate financially in that way. Things opened up for me, how to invest in myself. A cheap chip has a really hard time. My parents never invested in themselves. Mm. So I had to learn how to invest in myself. And as a delusional Delilah, I was like, fuck yeah, let's do this game on. Mm. And is it scary? Yeah, it's super scary. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Cause I get to live my dreams. Yeah. And so giving even a cheap chip permission to have spending money and have fun can open up a world of difference in these conversations. So find out who you are authentically and start operating in that way. Yeah. And it's like, what comes up is like, if I never, if I didn't have you, to do this work, to even become aware of what my money type was, I would go my whole life without even be, uh, being aware of that was something I took on from an early age from mom and dad. To, so challenging our beliefs and our patterns and our conditioning, not that um, we're not saying mom and dad, there's, there's anything wrong with you. It's are my beliefs my own? Are they authentic? And whose are they? And just having that reflection to become aware and then we can start to change it that's right that's that's freedom mm. that's the pathway to freedom absolutely yeah and you said something earlier um investing in ourselves. yeah so i'm from omaha nebraska warren buffett is from omaha nebraska one of the most yes. successful investors in the history of the world and what I love about Warren Buffett is he credits of all the investments he's ever made in his life. He credits his investment in a Dale Carnegie personal development workshop on communication as the most important investment of any investment he's ever made as the foundational principle, which allowed him the, all the other success of making $110 billion. Yeah. So Warren Buffett says on record, the most important investment I ever made is the one in myself. Yeah, I love that. And so one of the things from working with you, Lisa, over the last 12 months, I've invested more in myself than I've ever invested. Coaches, mentors, 
masterminds, therapists that I've, and so it's a perfect example of, I got out of it what I put into it. Absolutely. I invested in myself. I had the best financial year of my life over the last 10 years. And I think it's really important for people listening to give them permission to invest in ourself. Yeah. It's the only way. I equate it to this. I worked in higher education in my twenties and I worked for an honors college, which is like one of, it was one of the most intelligent group of people I've ever been around in my life. And do you know how Harvard, Harvard started? No. Harvard started, Harvard started with one mentor and one student. And that's how, you know, the great philosophers in the history of time, that's how they mentored their next great philosopher. It was one mentor and one student. Mm. So if we looked at, that's how higher education started was by someone making the investment in themselves to be mentored and grow. And we can all model that. And something, something's happened in the 20th and 21st century where we've had to figure it out on our own or like we have to go on it, go at it on our own, male and female. And it's just not true. Mm. One of the, uh, one of the things that hit me last night, I've, um, I joined a mastermind, a men's group, um, that it's just, it's been a game changer, uh, my first mastermind. And so last night on our call together, we were talking about how, like my mentor, somebody I, I really respect and look up to, he's the, he runs the mastermind and he was sharing about fear mm. and self-sabotage and resistance and procrastination and how it impacts and affects him every day. And it just hearing him verbalize that and say it out loud made me feel so much better. Like, okay, shit, I'm not alone because I've been feeling a lot of resistance lately and hearing just another person, especially a mentor verbalize something. It's like, Oh, okay. I'm not alone. I can, I can relate with that person. And it just that, that simple feeling of I'm not alone, man, it's powerful. Mm, it really is. It really is. And financially we all feel alone because we don't talk about it. Maybe if we're lucky, if we're, you know, in the in 10% of Americans, it's probably actually closer. It's 10 to 15% of Americans are working with a financial professional. That's it. Mm. So, and even in those conversations, having been a coach, people who are working with a financial professional aren't having conversations that are really deep enough that they feel like they're getting the help that they need. Mm. And that's why I'm so passionate about money coaching and training up other coaches and wanting to grow this profession is that people need to feel, feel seen and heard. And I believe that there are a lot of people in the world who are very isolated financially. Mm. And that's not healthy for anyone. Yeah. And what comes up is people isolating physically, um, especially over the last couple of years with COVID, people loneliness is the new epidemic. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's asking for help and support with finances, uh, personal development, I think it's, it's just, it's having, it's changing the mindset of like investing in ourself, knowing we're not alone mm -hmm. and like 
for me, what comes up a lot of the audience is, you know, people sober curious, yeah. people in recovery. And so I, I know, uh, thinking we're all alone and then, you know, disconnection equals addiction connection equals recovery. And so there's just something, and I know you're a big part, part, big part of your community is also a mastermind and you are, you are surrounded with empowered women. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important now more than ever. So if it's physical health, finances, asking for help, um, and knowing we're not alone, I think that's the message I want people to hear. Totally, totally not alone. Totally not. Yeah. And, um, yeah, back to Jimmy, like Jimmy gave us all permission, like, you know, that we're not alone. And I love the fact that you brought up to Jimmy, like, uh, you know, he's a mentor in your church, in your faith group. Um, mm -hmm. And like mentoring young men mm -hmm. and how important, and you have, you have kids, you have, uh, and I know they, they were recently in a um, kind of a rites of passage. Mm -hmm. Can you share about that experience? Because I know a lot of young men and parents who have young adults who are struggling right now. Do you want to, do you mind sharing about that experience with the impact that had and the opportunity for rites of passage for young men? Of course. So um, Jim, Jimmy, I met, I met almost 10 years ago and then we just kind of, we ran in the same circles. And then when I got my divorce, he had gone through a divorce also. And that's when our love relationship was created. But what I've always loved about Jimmy and adored about him is that he had, he had the courage to go through his own, his own transformational process. And it was through him being willing to look in the mirror, go through a personal development program and do the hard work of healing. He was raised by an alcoholic, abusive dad, mm -hmm. and he had a lot of, uh, a lot of scars and hurt, and he was boxed up, bottled up. He's a big guy. He's 240 pounds, six foot one, works in construction, like mass, super masculine, but also masculine to a fall where he was crumbling inside. Mm. Suicidal, alcoholic, like he was going through it and his divorce just tipped him over the edge. So his story of transformation is then through personal development, going through men's retreats and really embracing the masculine, learning what it was. Um, he's very vulnerable now. He's a vulnerable, loving, open man. Do we all have still dark sides and demons? Absolutely. But um, but that's what drew me to him is mm -hmm. that he was going to challenge me as a strong woman. He's a strong man, but not superficially strong. He's strong in his faith and strong in his power and in, in his vulnerability and his heart. And then he found church and like he's been really able to give back to kids in church and mentor them. And what um what when it comes to rite of passages. Both my boys in the same year went through very difficult experiences differently. Um, my 12-year-old stepson's mom died mm. in December of 2021. She, he's, he was 11 at the time. She was 37. And, with, and four months later, my son's dad moved across the country. He left him. So one's, they're both dealing with abandonment in their own way. And thank God, Jimmy and I have the tools to, we were able to come together and hold space for both of them and lean into the discomfort, lean into the vulnerability of it and help our boys journey through those experiences, not bottle it up, not pretend it didn't happen, not ignore it, 
And, and now as my 15 year old is going through his rite of passage through high school, Jimmy's stepping up and mentoring him in a way that I am so grateful that he can, because he can connect to him where he couldn't have done that 10 years ago, had he not done the work. Mm, for sure. You know, he might've been my, my ex-husband, my ex-husband's an alcoholic. So there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of verbal abuse and anger and pent upness about him where thank God, right. Thank God that Connor has an opportunity to learn how to be a man in a new way. Mm. Man, that's beautiful. Yeah. So it, rite of passages are very important. I will say that. And for men in particular, so Connor went through a devil pups program. We like, I'm actively looking for opportunities for him to have rite of passage moments in his life. So he went through a very intense program with the, um, it's a, it's a program that develops young leaders through the, um, Marines. Mm. And he had those moments of, you know, he had to challenge himself. He had to take himself on. They got to celebrate. And those are things that we do for our, for our boys to help them mature and graduate and take on responsibility and see it as a strength and a power, but also maintain their vulnerability. Which is needed now more than ever. And, you know, the majority of the audience listening, it's 70% women and 30% men. And a lot of the women, um, you know, have young adult children and a father figure that's not around. And so I'm really passionate, as you know, about this whole rites of passage. A lot of my clients are young men who I'm mentoring. Um, what advice would you give parents listening, Lisa, to help to take the first step for creating their own rites of passage for their young adult kids? I asked this exact question to one of my mentors, Sylvia, in a relationships course. And so, of course, you have to do it in an age-appropriate way. Mm -hmm. For example, for, for a young boy um, who is, let's say, under the age of 10, give him responsibilities at home, right? So, um, for example, make sure that it's his job to take the trash out every single time the trash goes out. That is his job. That is his responsibility. He owns that. Or make sure that he's the one that goes around the house and locks all the doors at night, that he knows that's his job, that's his responsibility, and that it's got to happen because he's got to keep the household safe. We really look at tribal mentality and how boys were raised in tribal in tribal environments and still are today. They're taught at a very young age that it's their responsibility to keep everybody alive and safe. Absolutely. Makes yeah. Sense. Yeah. And then also for me, in the absence of what, like before I had married Jimmy, and I just knew he was going to be a great mentor for my, for my, for my boy. And he's a great dad. Um, when Connor was up against it in his own life at eight, nine, 10, 11, I sought other strong men that I knew. And I asked them to mentor him. Mm -hmm. So I have a, a really good friend of mine who is, he's in the army. He was an army recruiter at the time but someone that I've always loved from high school. And I've just seen his journey. He's a good man and he's, he's respected. And I reached out to him. I said, Hey, Connor's really going through it right now. Would you mentor him? Mm. He was like, absolutely. And he still sends him pictures and writes him letters from around the world. I had a really good friend of mine who was a police officer. He still is. I said, would you mentor Connor? He's like, bring him in. He spent the whole day with him talking about responsibility and honor and all of the tenants of being a police officer 
And so from a young age, Connor got mentoring from other men. That wasn't my job to do yeah. as a mom. So, uh, so that would be my advice is find other people. You know, Jimmy was a mentor to young boys in church, mm. put him in a, in a youth group, find safe, healthy men who are willing to give back and let them mentor and show them what it's like to be a healthy, responsible man. Beautiful. makes sense. And the segue, the thread of bringing it back to finances, is there a way to, is there advice that you would give to parents to start to um, introduce their young adults or their teenagers or teens and tweens to start to teach financial responsibility as a way to also create a rites of passage? I am so glad you brought that up, Andrew, because I think that some parents want to pass the buck. And also from the place of, of um, from the place of um, modeling is that there are a lot of parents out there who, who didn't have great models and don't know themselves how to make good choices or, or choices that work for them financially. So I get this question all the time. Hey, can you teach this in high schools? Can you teach this to my kids? And my answer is yes. And just so you know, it doesn't matter whatever I teach them, they're going to model their behaviors and choices from you. Mm. So for whether you have boys or girls at home, the best advice I can give is a, to a parent who wants to transform money conversations in their household is to take them on themselves first and do the work themselves first and then bring their, their kids into that conversation as a family. Mm. So rites of passage again, don't give your kids everything. If you want them to have a work ethic, teach them how to work, teach them how to work for things, teach them how to attract money, teach them how to manifest. It's not about them feeling like they have to work to pay for the bills. Like they can feel secure, but um, we teach, we teach our kids financial responsibility right now by saying, okay, you get 20 bucks a week. This is your money to manage. How are you going to manage it? Give them, kids are so smart. Oh my gosh, right? Kids are starting businesses. Kids are speaking up at the UN. Kids are so smart. Get Trust them and teach them how to trust themselves. Absolutely. Great advice. And uh, also it's it's important to note that Jimmy also gets an allowance. He does. <laughs> $200. <laughs> <He does. laughs> this, the, the That was actually very educational. Listen, and, and I love how you and Jimmy talked about how finances shows up in your life. And I, you know, one of the things you said, Lisa, was, one person drives the bus, uh, sets up the systems, drives the bus, takes responsibility. And the second person supports the system. Person number one puts into place. So hearing how you put the system in place, Jimmy supports the system. In my relationship with my girlfriend, Melissa, she, she drives the bus. I support the system. And it's just really helpful to hear the dynamic of two people in a marriage, in a relationship and how that dynamic works. I think it's really important just for people in relationship to be like, oh, okay, let's try this. Um, and I definitely recommend, and I'll put it in the show notes, the episode, the link to that conversation you had with Jimmy, but yeah, Jimmy gets $200. That's his allowance. <laughs> <laughs>
He asks for a raise regularly. <laughs> and how often do you do you grant the raise? We have conversations about it. He actually got he got an actual raise last year. And so we renegotiated the number. Um, and and to be clear, this this happens arbitrarily all the time in households where one's one partner doesn't have to be man or male or female, right? But like one partner is trying to control the other because they don't like the choices they're making. That is not a healthy system. My husband's a spendthrift. He spends money on all kinds of things. And you can listen, he'll share on the episode what happens in our household, but he spends money like crazy. He respects the system because he knows when he gets his money, it, I don't care what he spends it on. Mm -hmm. You can't hold a spendthrift back. By doing that, you're going to break you're going to break trust and relationship and that person's going to feel like they're stifled and then they're going to leave and you're going to wonder why they're gone. So like for a spendthrift, I'm just like, here, here's your money, do what you want with it. And it's agreed. It's an agreed upon amount. And that works for both of us. Yeah. That was very helpful to listen to your dynamic and sharing with honesty and vulnerability with how it works in your, your own life. So that personal experience and relatability, um, I took a lot away from that. So definitely recommend people listening uh, and we'll put the link to the show in the show notes. And my favorite Jimmyism: the devil will say you can't make it through the storm, which you reply to the devil. I am the storm. Yes. It's a good one, right? And spending your money on moments, not material things. Yeah. That was in regards to your trip to Alaska. Yeah. And that was what just, yeah spending our money, investing our money in moments and experiences. I think it's so important. And that's what you've, one of the things you've taught me, Lisa, and the, 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 the experiences in the travel and adventure and play that I've had over the last 12 months while having the best financial year of my career, we can have both. You get to, you get to, right. No one says on their deathbed that they would have worked more. Mm. No one says on their deathbed that they wish they would have had more money in their bank account. Mm. At the end of the day, people regret not having the experiences and the conversations and the people that they love and what gets in the way of that ego protection, right? And so we're here to have an open, vulnerable conversation that if money's in the way of you, living the life that you're born to live, let's, let's break that shit up. Let's, let's make a difference in your, in your life now. So you can be free to be who you're meant to be. Mm. Well, I want to acknowledge you and thank you because I'm 44 years old and I'm finally starting to figure things out with my relationship with finances. And you've been a huge part of uh, my success and, you know, it's, it's so much more than just a budget tracker and it's, it's becoming aware, creating a new relationship with my money. Um, it's, it's a framework for supporting my business to create a sustainable business model as an entrepreneur. And I'm glad we're coming back to this thread because it is freaking hard to be an entrepreneur. It is freaking hard. There is so much to do every day. And like, so I want to just for the entrepreneurs out there listening, you're not alone. There's so much shit we have to do day in and day out. And 
it's been my experience when I invested in Lisa, it changed everything. Mm. So whether it's a trusted, whether it's a, a coach, a mentor, a mastermind, like investing in myself, I'm going to share firsthand, like working with you, Lisa, over the last 12 months, investing in myself, having the support and accountability, sometimes it's cheerleader, sometimes it's kicking the ass, but like having that has been an absolute game changer. And I want to acknowledge you for the support and the help that you've had in my success. I would not have been able to do it without you. And so for people listening, I really encourage you. I'm going to have Lisa's contact information. If you're looking for a money coach, I really, um, I can't recommend her enough. Um, but just start investing in yourself. You can't do it all alone, especially as an entrepreneur. My life is so much better because I invested in Lisa and put systems and processes in place. I know it's coming in every month. I know it's going out every month. I put money aside for travel, play, and adventure. I have a sustainable model and it's thanks to you. And I really, from the bottom of my heart, I just, I love having this conversation so I can acknowledge you in front of, you know, 95 countries worldwide who people are downloading this podcast. Um, I get to share like the impact you've had and it makes, makes me really happy. Thank you for that. Mm. For that. And you, you kept showing up, Andrew, you kept having the, you know, being in curiosity, pushing your ego aside. A lot of conversations we had, I know were not easy. They were not. Mm -hmm. And you showed up and you, you were open and you were willing and that, that makes a difference. Yeah. Lisa has seen the vulnerable side of me many times in tears, uh, and I felt safe because it was a sacred container and I knew I was safe. Um, and then putting together a budget for uh, my girlfriend and I to come up to bend and how to have conscious conversations with money in a relationship for the first time ever for me and feeling safe, how to ask for what I want and need. And you put up, you, you gave us the framework, Lisa, to have these conversations, which were so helpful that I know so many other people in relationship don't have. And I know the impact it has. Um, and so personally in my life, professionally, and in my relationship, um, you've helped so much. And I'm uh, grateful to be on this journey together for people listening. How do they contact you? How do they find you? Uh, where do you direct them uh, so they can have a more, uh, a deeper intimate connection and relationship with you? Well, the easiest thing to do is go to my website, lisachastain.com. There's a link up in the right-hand corner. It says, get started. And you can fill out what we're, you know, fill out your name, your information, and my team and I will be in touch. We'll figure out what the best place is for you to plug in. I've got courses, I've got events, I've got coaching. Really at whatever level you're ready to go, my team and I can take you there. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Lisa, thank you again. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for all that you do. Uh, for me and so many others. Um, and I'm looking forward to uh, watching your continued success. Thank you, Andrew. And thank you for the continued positive impact that you have in, in the lives of others. Thank you. I received that. All right, everybody. See you again next week. Thanks for listening.